Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to our 31st episode, all about the history of Halloween. From the ancient druids, to the fortune-telling parlor games, to the fun-sized Snickers, we will guide you through this most mysterious of nights, this festival of frights, this haunted holiday that is... Halloween! Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize how this holiday came about? When it all started? Why it exists? Well, we're about to tell you. It ain't no fairy tale, but it's grim. Yuck, 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 yuck. Once upon a time in the long, long ago, Man's courage was high, but his spirit was low. People grew tired of all work and no play. They felt the need of a jolly holiday. Halloween, Halloween. Up, jack o' lantern, it's Halloween. Apples hanging high. There's a big pumpkin pie in the sky. So, hey everybody, you're listening to Boys and Ghouls. This is our third Halloween episode. Yes, it is. First one was covering the movie Halloween, as well as our own Halloween memories. Second one was Halloween specials. And this year, it's not even going to be any movies. Sorry, I know we're a horror movie podcast, with the uh, the caveat of, and all things spooky, uh, depending on which description you read. And I think this falls into that category. Under all, of things, all things spooky. spooky. So, in this one, we are going to be covering the history and customs of Halloween. Yes. Through our perspectives, which just means it's a really vast subject. Oh, boy. And we're going to try to at least keep it linear, but it'll mostly be what interests us mm-hmm. about the history of Halloween. And I think a little bit of comparison, you know, it'll be as linear as possible, but there's also the aspect of looking at things of your and going, whoa, how has this continued or translated to today sure. has it at all. And, and that's the thing. If you, When you watch things on like the History Channel, they really try to streamline it and say like... They do. This ancient thing directly translates to this modern thing and then you, you get into it a bit and you're like... Eh. That ain't how history works, bub. Yeah, there was a <laughs> lot of years in between where different things happened and other things influenced it and some uh, some pretty surprising things actually. Yeah. Because you get like the Cliff's Notes version and it, it's like, and so the ancient Celts did this, and that's where we got trick-or-treating. Right. But it's not just like the Flintstones. Everything in the past doesn't have some kind of... Modern a- corollary. Yeah, no. uh, to what we do today. No. Boys and girls, full of costume dreams and pumpkin spirits, preparing for the greatest night of the year, better than Easter, better than Christmas, Halloween. Kat, between the two of us, you focused more on the olden, olden times. I kind of did. Like yesteryear uh-huh. and uh, the golden age. Yester, yester, yesteryear. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And I just, when we cracked the same book, you've got a trick or treat by Lisa Morton there. Yes. I looked at other books and, and other sources, but none so much as, as that book. I focused on. As far on... as just like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool too. Yeah. I focused on Trick or Treat by Lisa Morton, who I mentioned to you earlier lives in North Hollywood, but I think she's English. 
while I haven't read any other big books on Halloween, I fully intend to. But also, the reason I picked this book, I did a little research, and it was one of the newer ones I could find. Yeah. And I really liked this book because it reads, it's a good read, but it also reads a little bit academically. It almost reads like it could have been her thesis paper or something, in a good way. I mean, in the sense that it strives to be accurate, and it strives to be honest, no matter how much that might debunk something we want to believe. Um, But it is a really fun book as well. So if I had to identify a thesis statement for this book Mm -hmm. um, and for the way that I'm now kind of coming to understand Halloween, it's that it's a very misunderstood festival, but that the irony of all these Christians these days who are having these hell houses where they do a haunted house that depicts all these sins and then tries to convert you, I'm sure you've heard about these, right? Well, I also came up under the impression of Christians being the enemy of Halloween. Right. And there's been some really positive religious and Christian specifically help to Halloween mm-hmm. in, in modern times, too. Um, I can get to that sure. later. Well, yeah, we, we'll get to that later. But what the point I'm coming around to sure. is that there's still a healthy fear of Halloween among Christians in present-day America. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you. There are more progressive churches that are, you know, choosing to embrace it in really innocent ways. But there are still a lot of, like, Bible-beating churches who believe it's, like, the devil's holiday and all of these things, and they believe it's pagan completely. Sure. Which is funny for many reasons, but essentially Halloween is actually... The only real holiday we have that is an almost perfect 50-50 mix of pagan and Christian rituals and traditions. Okay. Because it incorporates the ancient Samhain, Irish, Celtic, Druidic rituals of yore. Yeah. And Christian rituals of All Saints and All Souls Day. And they come together and pretty much over the history of time, all of the different traditions that we've had and and foods and yeah. you know the types of parties and the types of games and then all of that it springs from almost an equal amount of pagan and christian rituals but the christians who oppose it today are upset because they feel like it's all anti-christianity but it just goes to show you that wherever history is concerned you have to contextualize yeah. because if you don't and we grew up during and there, there's a proper term for it something like satan scare but i, th- I think that there's a better word do you know what What's I'm talking that? about? It's just a, the massive fear of like heavy metal music and Satanists behind every corner. Oh, yes. It's like and Satanists. the fear of um, the Satanistic cults and everyone yeah. thought, oh, uh-huh, sure, and, and sure. Most that of was which started 80s. after The Exorcist. Yeah. The, well, I grew up more in the 80s than you. Yeah. And people, I guess it, it kind of replaced communists. Yeah. It's like, oh, communists didn't seem to be much of a threat, but lurking behind every teenager in a denim jacket is a Satanist with their heavy metal music. We salute you, our half-inflated dark lord. I do want to mention that Halloween, as it is today and as it has been over time, it's come to represent different things for different places for what they need at that time. And quite often it's a way to express fears, obviously. But I mean... Mm -hmm. It's also been used as a way to co-opt a crusade for equality. You know, things like the gay pride parade celebrations that happen in New York and L.A. and things like this. So I think what I'm getting at is that Halloween becomes... It's malleable? Yeah. And I'd say more recently, part of its appeal is people of all faiths. 
can celebrate Halloween. Yeah. Well, the Christians and the Jews and the Hindus and the Muslims and the others. Well, and that's All what it's... like can just hit the streets and no one's going to be like, that's not your holiday. Well, and that's what it's become... It didn't yeah. start that way, but it's become that for Americans. And the conclusion I kind of came to is that Halloween is, <laughs> you know, so many other countries have very specific to them rituals and customs. And America, I think, often, especially by people who are from places that have a longer, deeper history, we're kind of looked at as a place that doesn't have as much culture, I guess. And you know, or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, oh, my, oh, we're looked at as having Americans. Culture. Yes. Oh, totally. Right. Well, but, we, we, but what I've come to, yeah. I think, is that I think Halloween is our culture. It's part because of it. if you talk to, but I think, I think it is. It's so uniquely American, and yeah, and point. you don't realize it until I talk to a lot of tourists at one of my jobs. You don't realize how American it is until you start talking to people from other countries and they're aware that it's a thing that we do, but they don't understand everything it's about. And it doesn't mean anything to them. And I realize, like, oh, that's our culture. I tell people, uh, like, we may seem awfully macabre right now, but if you stick around to, like, November 3rd, it all goes away. Mm -hmm. And it goes away so fast. It does. And it's like, you've got zombies in your front yards. And it's like, yeah, but flip a switch and we're just on to the next thing. Namely, Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) But, okay, so most of those History Channel Halloween specials will start us off with the ancient Celts. These ancient Irish Celts were pagan, which just means they they were pantheistic. They had multiple gods. Druids were their holy people. Yes. They weren't their own race, which I have been led to believe, I guess, mostly from... A Druish princess? <laughs> Spaceballs? <laughs> that and the Stonehenge song in Spinal Tap. So the Druids were the holy people for the Celts. Yes. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. I do, just do want to clarify. People probably heard the word Sam Hain as mispronounced in the Halloween movies, but that's not how it's pronounced. You'll hear Dr. Lewis But it's totally saying, how it's spelled, and the band Samhain. Sure. You know, e- even though it is pronounced, I'll let you... Uh, Samhain. Samhain. Even though it's pronounced Samhain, if I'm in a, uh, a record store ever again in my life... And, and you I'm ask looking... someone for a Samhain, they're going to go, I don't know what that is. Yeah, so I, I will forever call uh, Samhain. And I think that's appropriate. Uh, you know, uh, got any Samhain on vinyl? Go to the mall. But basically, it really just represents their year-end festivities and festival and harvest and all of that. It was a joyful harvest feast, which has given Halloween a raucous side from the very beginning. So what I love is, at least at core, like there's not much we can point to that went from A all the way to Z where we are now that stayed the same. But the spirit of Halloween, as it were, of being like a time of joyful celebration and kind of playfulness, it has changed over the years, but it's like it's come back around. There's no... Celtic version of the Monster Mash. There's no Celtic version of a Halloween store. There's no Celtic version of Not Scary Farm. Right. But there is raucous and celebration at the time of year when autumn turns to winter. That's correct. Now, what the ancient Irish Celts did believe is that Samhain was this magical night of year where the doors between our world and an other world would open and the dead could visit and fairies could bedevil humans. So fairies, this is something I found really interesting. Fairies figured into Halloween imagery for a long, long time. And they mm-hmm. even appeared on the postcards that were there between, in, in, in the time when, yeah. 
but we don't really think of fairies as being a very I don't anyway. When, when, when did they drop off? What do you say? I mean, probably I think after the postcards boom. <laughs> True, truly. Sure. And I, I say that except I'm not, I'm kind I kind of would call it a postcards boom because the book I read kind of identified it was the period between like letter writing and the telephone and it was like there was okay. this in between and there was a huge proliferation of postcards but and there were like 3000 different halloween postcards made I've seen a few You have you sent, sent me many but what was funny to me is I was reading this and I was going, wow, fairies were such a huge part of it. And I was like, you never see fairies, like harvesty fairies. And I swear to you, two days ago, I was at Pavilions and I saw over in the floral department, there was a little autumnal colored fairy with oh. wings. It was like decked out in orange and brown, like harvest colors and wings. And it was a fairy. And nice. I was like, well, I saw a fairy. <laughs> So, by the 7th century, the Catholic Church had spread throughout most of Europe and was converting people, right? And they had successfully converted most of the pagan Celts. So, part of the way that they did this was that they would assign clear alternatives to existing calendar celebrations. So, they would take the gods that the Celts were working with, their special days on the Mm. calendar, Mm. and just supplant them with Catholic equivalents, like saints and things. Almost, you know, sneak it in like, hey, you're still doing your thing, right? We'll just call it a saint now. And then just sort of bleeding over and, you know, trying to get everyone on the same page. And that's how they did it. This is an aspect of Halloween everyone seems to agree on because we've actually got some names and dates. That's right. We can say, oh, it was actually Pope so-and-so the second. Uh Uh-huh. So All Saints Day became November 1st, around mid-8th century. And then around 1000 AD, the church added All Souls Day on November 2nd. Did you get into soul cakes? A little bit. Yeah, actually, I know a little bit about soul cakes. As they point to um, early versions of trick-or-treating, this one kind of holds up, which is to pray for the dead. It's really a numbers game in, in some beliefs, which is the more prayers you get, the quicker they get out of purgatory. So people would go from door to door on these Saints Days. And Souls Days, in particular, that one was the second. And in exchange for some food, because they're poor, they will pray for that family's dead. So they go from door yeah, to door. Yeah, I've heard that too. And there's other stuff cakes. I've read about souling, souling, as it's called, and soul cakes that was a little different, where it was like you just baked it and put it under your pillow to mm. hope for better dreams. And also, by the way, people didn't eat soul cakes. They would just keep them. And I read a record really? sometimes, and I read a record of a woman in like 1812 who had a soul cake that she said was over 100 years old that had just stayed in the family, which I think is really gross and weird. Mm. But anyway, I do want to mention before we get to Guy Fox, the Black Plague... Which peaked around 1350 only because it is a point in time 60% of Europe was dead. You know, a lot, a lot of people. And in some ways it changed popular culture, introducing a new obsession with images of death into the arts. Mm. So I think that's just important as far as, you know, you're seeing different things visually in art that maybe weave their way into the public consciousness. So I just want to mention that. Sure. Um, and, of course, there's all kinds of stuff, witch hunts going on all over the place that, you know, we could talk about. Yeah, the, uh, the documentaries, some of them would get to, um, you know, bonfires were a big thing. Bonfires attract bugs. Bugs attract bats. Bats for Halloween! Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I can't help but think those really seem to pop up more after, like, Dracula the movie. Hocus, hocus, I'm a bat! So 
actual, do you want to talk about Guy Fawkes Day and bonfires? Yeah, mostly because of just the scraps of information I've been living with. As much as you and I love Halloween. We do. But where it all started and how it all came to take the form that it is today is something that I just sort of left up to the scraps and bits of information that would come my way. You know, As I might, did I. I might read it on a Snapple cap. I might half watch it on the History Channel. But I never really sat down and said, hey, where'd this all come from? So the biggest surprise is... The Snapple Caps never said, remember, remember the 5th of November. Which I didn't get any of until V for Vendetta. Sure. (laughs) By the way, which um, which is Guy Fawkes Day. I didn't realize what a cultural influence Guy Fawkes Day was on Halloween. Me neither. 5th of November, okay, we've already got October 31st, then the first is All Saints, the second is All Souls, third and fourth, you you treat your hangover, and then fifth, Guy Fawkes, and you do it all again. Yeah, except this time, with more fire. (laughs) With more fire. So Guy Fawkes, uh, for those of you who don't remember V for Vendetta... Or your history books. ...was a Catholic, uh, you can just say terrorist, or freedom fighter. Sure, yeah, just depending on your perspective. Depending on your perspective, who tried to blow up the Protestant parliament. Yeah, he was caught with, I don't know, however many barrels of gunpowder. With them physically, they were like, hey, you there! And he's with all this stuff. Where are you going with that? That truly would have brought... The House of Lords down to rubble. Like, it was a lot of gunpowder. So, after that came... Uh, and he was hanged and drawn and quartered along with other men who were involved. Years of bonfires and effigies. And I guess people were like, we got him! But I can't help but think that some people were just like... Good excuse to light a fire and play ex- around? It's, yeah, it's yeah. just like, hey, it's good excuse to uh, blow stuff up. It's called Gunpowder Day, isn't it? Right. In some circles it was. And now I just l- like to to sort of address how much depends on mass communications. Mm. As you go further into the up to present, you can really see the influence of mass communication through uh, magazine articles, like first, I think, sort of unifying people and getting everyone on the same page. Because there is no law. There's no Halloween laws. Some places have curfews, and certainly places have customs. But there's no big book, Oh Halloween, that, you know, not yet, anyway. <laughs> Cat's working there, on one. Well, no, no, I mean, not yet in what we're talking about, but there are a few that come along later that start solidifying the public consciousness to Halloween. In fact, there's a, well, sure. we'll, well get to yeah, that. and that's what I'm saying. But back in the sort of all saintsy, all hollows, Guy Foxy days, each town may never see the other town. Right. You know, they're These all things are all evolving independently. Yeah, they're all evolving independently. They all get their own traditions, and those traditions change. And they bleed over into each other. So one of the things that I believed drew kind of a straight line up to the present, or drew a crooked line up to the present, would be for Guy Fawkes, people going door to door. Begging for kindling. Or saying like, oh, I'll just take this garden gate. Mm-hmm. It's like, no kindling. Oh, I see a nice fence here. Time for me to make off with this fence. Yeah. And that led to pranks. Well, and I, I do want to say, not to, to be, not to be pranks Mr. Is a big thing. It is. Not to be Mr. Smug Guy, but Lisa Morton, in this book I read, makes a point to say, like, it's tempting to draw a parallel from begging mm. for kindling for Guy Fawkes Day to trick-or-treating, but that she believes trick-or-treating as it is today kind of evolves out of some things that happen a little bit later well, I during believe, well, World War II. One and two, and we'll get to that later. But yeah. so there's so, a big well, there's a big reversal. This yeah. is what leads to the reversal: pranking. 
Pranking is, I, I think, what... Pranking for prank's sake. Pranking for prank's sake on Halloween or All Hallows' Eve. At, at what point, semantically, do you suppose we're up to? Still calling it All Hallows' Eve? Yes. So, yeah, it less didn't, so Halloween. The apostrophe of Halloween, yeah. <laughs> you know, didn't really get dropped until like the 1920s. Okay. For good. And I say for good loosely because I don't drop it. I always keep it in just because it's fun. But anyway. So pranking up until the 1930s, that's the name of the game. Yeah. Punky pumpkin, the happy pumpkin never wears a frown. You can see that he's cut out to be a clown. Oh, what a clown is he. The candlelight inside him makes his eyes light up and gleam. They shine right through the When did the turnips start? I couldn't get a... Well... Is that a whole nother page? It's not a whole nother page. I have a bit about the jack-o'-lantern, but it doesn't explain. I just have old world, so I don't know what that means. Um, okay, so. well, we may as well mention it now, which is the pumpkin got started. The prototype was carving out turnips with faces and sticking a light in there. And some sources will claim, like, why every one of those represented a soul that was trapped or yeah, every are, one of those was a ghost and really or that this, witches would carry pumpkins with lights inside them to go turnips. do or to, or well no actually turnips later it first. was pumpkins but anyway that yeah that that they would carry them to do their you know evil deeds and things sure truth is no one really knows how the turnip o lantern really got going but we all agree it was a thing yes and we all was. agree why did it take that many generations for someone to say pumpkins are easier they're bigger. They're bigger. You can do more with them. You're not doing that much with them in the first place. Pies, sure. But I think... God uh, bless whoever came up with that. Yeah. No, probably just a matter of availability of pumpkins. But, man, once they clued into that, I'd, I'd say no one really gave turnips another look. But, yes, you brought up pranking. Sure um, which is a good venue to talk about Halloween as an outlet for people at different times. And, and quite often it has represented yeah. an outlet for repression. So during times of really high repression, either by the government or circumstances like being in an like economic poverty. depression and being poor, it seems like pranking and it has turned violent over the years. Lots of actual lighting houses on fire and stealing things and lighting them on fire and yeah. violence that emerge when things are really bad. And then, of course, it runs the gamut from that to, like, I took your tractor tire and put it on the roof, which is harmless and silly. Yeah. Although, get enough of that and uh, people want to change it. But we'll, we'll get to that. We're, we're still trying to go sort of chronologically. Yes. I kind of jumped from the Guy Fox bonfire stuff to the 1700s, like another hundred years Are we in so. America yet? We are about to be, basically. Yeah. Because, like, okay, America, we didn't invent it, but we perfected no, it. We perfected it. So what I want to jump to, if I may, is the Robert Burns poem, Halloween. What that poem did, what, what's interesting... What year? 1785. Okay. So what's interesting to me is how much, in this book anyway, and it's the only book I read, but I've also watched a lot of documentaries over the years, and um, Robert Burns's poem talks a lot about Halloween fortune-telling games. So and, and that's what it really became a lot of. It did. It was like the boys were out pranking, and the ladies were at home figuring ladies. out who they were going to marry. Yeah, and almost, what, 99% of these fortune-telling games 
were all, who are you going to marry? That, well, that's all there was. So what's interesting is there's no indication prior to Robert Burns's poem called Halloween in 1785 that talk about these fortune-telling games. However, it's assumed that they must have already been going on because he writes about them. But one thing's for sure is that once he outlined this... It was like a, a Christmas Carol, the book was for people at Christmas time saying, you know, and like I was saying, mass communication can kind of just put everybody on the same, on page. The same page. Absolutely. And in this case, it was a page of poetry. Yes. So Matthew Scott Montgomery. Hi, Matthew. I know you're listening. Uh, um, we get together with our friends every year and we, without knowing the context of it quite, you know, Matthew found a, a play I'm sure called... you can have lots of fun boring everybody with the context this year. Yes, I will. <laughs> Indeed. Um, we've read aloud a play for a few years now called By Cupid's Trick that involves, I think it's like two guys and two girls, but the women are running around holding mouths full of water and looking into a mirror and eating apples and trying to figure out who they're going to marry. Sure. It's all it's all well, very some, romantic some things, confusion. If I can take a step back, yeah. they would uh, take two hazelnuts, assign them each to a, a potential suitor, and then throw them both in the fire, and whichever one would pop first... That would be who they were going to marry. Correct. They would peel an apple in one peel, throw it over their shoulder, and if the peel landed in the initials of a person, by the yeah. way, I bet there was a lot of creative interpretation in that of one. Of course. The initials of a person, that's who you would marry. Yes. If you took a wet blouse and hung it over with one sleeve. I love this one. Yeah. You dip your sleeve in water, you go home, you put your wet sleeve by the fire, and then you go to bed, and when you, you should awake to find your future betrothed, Turning has over visited in the night. has visited in the night, turned over your sleeve so that it gets dry on the other side. I mean, how ridiculous is that? You don't want your guy just showing up in the middle of the night. It's weird. Well, actually, you were describing the the grand time you have with with this play, and then I derailed you with all the. Oh no! All I was doing was saying that this play, mm-hmm. we would joke about how ridiculous it was because we were like, "Why are these people holding mouths full of water?" And like the whole play was about. Cupid and being romantic, but it, it was all it was all full of Halloween speech and a bunch. So we were like, "Wow, this seems like Valentine's Day, but it's Halloween," and we all always joke about it and we have a great time with it. But now I really kind of understand better yeah. why why that content is there. There'll be food and drink and ghosts and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. So now we're in the new world by this point, mm-hmm. and before. Not a lot that we've been saying is particularly spooky. From time to time, something, you know, of the dead will pop up in what we're saying. But this is a a holiday of fear and monsters and the dead. It is now. It is now. But it's also a holiday of parties and not taking the dead terribly seriously, which is therapeutic in its own way. And I think when people came to America... I don't think the woods were as full of ghosts in the New World to these people as they were back in the old country. I think they felt that they left most of the witches behind. If there be witches, those witches be back in Ireland. And I'm over here in the New Country where let's just uh, see who we're going to marry. And and use this supernatural time of year for something a lot more fun. Whereas uh, all the haints and goblins, I didn't see any of them on the boat, if you ask me. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. I mean... Cat seconds me. I think there, so. Yeah, there are always exceptions that prove the rule. Like, oh, we had the Salem witch trials and stuff. But, sure. But oh, okay. I agree that with you. That was not a permanent state. No. Uh, the, uh, a permanent state of... Uh, we got into this in our uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Right. Where he wrote a ghost story 
for Americans about as soon as there was American ghosts. But you gotta have a, a bit of a, of a buffer period before you can look back on something as being old enough to be scary. Yeah. And I think during that buffering period, people were just like having fun in the parlor. Yes. Yeah. However, mm. by the beginning of the 1900s, Halloween was beginning to transform again. Okay. We're up to the 1900s? Beginning of the, well, you know, oh, I guess, yeah. Did we skip the 1800s? Well, I mean, I, I think heard the most Civil of the 1800s. War and all its presence of the dead seemed very similar to what you were saying about the Black Plague. Sure. It really brought death up to the forefront of people's minds. Yeah. And I know way back in our first Halloween episode, we talked about, you know, like haunted houses in our neighborhood, and you grew up near Civil War fields, mm -hmm. which you said, as far as I'm concerned, they're all haunted. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So whatever ghosts weren't in America previously, they're, they're here now. They're here now. They're here yes. now. And they speak English. Yeah. So they know what you're saying. <laughs> That's pretty cute. Yeah. Before that, Tragic, you know, there was like, but... like all the Native American ghosts. There was, you know, ancient chiefs and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, they can't really hear you talking smack. Right. Necessarily. But now they can. Yes, for sure they can now. For sure they can now. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good point. It took a little bit of a darker turn. But up to the 1900s, but, which is when I really yeah. came on the boat as far as my research. Yeah, so by the beginning of the 1900s, Halloween in America had started to transform again. If we remember way back, you know, 15 minutes ago, we were talking about way back then. Guy Fawkes Day and how pranks evolved and there was all this pranking and merriment yes. and then we've transformed and by the way the fortune telling stuff was taking place in america but also was taking place overseas in the uk but around the beginning of the 1900s we're getting back into pranking again yes so there was an ebb and flow there and i guess we could say around the guy fox you know in the 1600s we're, we're looking at adult pranksters but in the uh, early yeah, well, mostly there, there was a, a pretty brief period between being young and getting married Yes, sure. So let's just say young men. Yeah. But we're getting now in the early 1900s into more kind of kids pranking. And these are more innocent pranks, but these are a way for young boys to... It was... Let's say that in the community, you could do something mischievous on Halloween night yeah. and not get in trouble it, it for it. It fell under the boys will be boys heading. Exactly. But Lots only of, on that um, night. Wagons being disassembled and placed on your roof. Yes. Or halfway up a haystack, which... A big haystack was quite a thing. Soaping windows. Taking off people's gates, but not to burn them, just to take them off and put which, them all in a pile in the center of town. Which I first heard about at the end of um, the War of the Worlds, which was actually on the 30th. I heard it was a Halloween broadcast. Hmm. It was the day before Halloween. Oh. Old All Hallows Eve Eve. Close enough. Yeah. So at the end, Orson Welles comes on and he's like, Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. And I was like, oh, taking your garden gate. That was such a huge thing. Sometimes it was called garden gate night. Or, yeah. Yeah. It was a Halloween what? Gate night. That's wild. And fires did start eventually. Well, what happened is the depression. Yeah. Which kind of darkened things up a bit. And the pranks got virulent and violent and arsony yeah. um and to the point where like it became situations where towns were like banning any halloween celebrations because it would just turn ugly and people were it's like people were just expressing such huge frustration and yes. it came out in really dark ways less so were the days of tipping over outhouses um, yes which just sounds like horrible and yet eh, not that bad C that sounds compared pretty to, like, bad to me burning something well if it's you're in it at the time yeah <laughs> 
But so I read that 1933 was actually yeah. dubbed Black Halloween. 33 is when it got out of hand. People were tripping pedestrians as they went down the street. Like, this is like the purge light. It was (laughs) only a little lighter. If there was a trash can outside, boom, just whatever's in it is now out of it, and it's just somewhere else now. That's kind of scary. Can you imagine walking down the street right now and people doing that? I mean, I know it happens when there are like riots. Yeah. So, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm afraid of that. A a night of mini riots. Being bad's a lot of fun, ain't it? Yeah, uh huh. Get a load of that stained glass window. One of my earlier scraps of information that I did have was from the movie Meet Me in St. Louis, where the movie was just like yakety, 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 yak, nothing happening. And then Halloween and the kids go berserk. <laughs> and they just, they're just like taking people's patio furniture and piling it up in the center of town and torching it. I was like, oh, that seems out of hand. <laughs> and then I read To Kill a Mockingbird not long ago. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird sort of gave us that BCAD of when pranking got a lot closer to what we now know for, for trick-or-treating. The pranks got out of hand because it was the Depression and kids were just mad, basically. Mad they were poor. Mad they didn't have anything. Mad there was a Depression. Man. Yeah. yeah. The 20s seemed great. What happened there? So. And there's a theme of this kind of expression of repression coming out of people who are usually marginalized, you know. Yeah. They aren't wealthy. They're middle class or poor. Straight up poor. Yeah. So communities... For every action, there's a reaction. I see where you're going with this. The reaction was pretty great. Instead of clamping down on them with like a steel boot of justice, the answer was give them a good time. The YMCA got involved. Schools got heavily involved. The the JCs. mm -hmm, The JCs. And what I was trying to get at earlier without leaving chronology is uh, religious groups Mm -hmm. got involved. Churches got involved. And... Was give them activities. Give them activities and give them Halloween activities. They weren't going, Halloween is Satan's birthday. It's all about me! It's not always Jesus people versus Halloween. And growing up, most of the haunted houses were held by churches. Because the act of organizing a haunted house, the lights-on portions of a haunted house, is a lot of people working together, working with their hands, which you really need that for kids more than ever these days. Everyone's got a part to play. Man, you can take the dimmest bulb and who in a school play would just have to play a tree. And you're like, what are you doing? You are the center of attention. You're the screaming corpse. (laughs) On the track of you talking about churches holding haunted houses and, you know, becoming a thing for people to make haunted houses for the kids to go through as like an alternative. Yes. Yeah. There is You are referencing your book. I am. I'm referencing my book, Trick or Treat. All right. There is a description of a, quote, trail of terror from a party pamphlet in 1937, which, to me, if someone really, like, accurately did what this is describing, I think it would be pretty scary just because of its very vintage and, like, kind of rickety and homemade. Yeah. So here's the description. Now, what you're quoting from is a time when pamphlets and magazines and something called the bogey book. Yes. Again, that was mass media unifying people, getting them all on the same page. Saying, here's how you throw a great Halloween shindig. throw a great Halloween party. Or here, in what you're about to read, is how you, you throw a quality haunt. Yes. In, in the year, again? 
1937. 1937. An outside entrance leads to a rendezvous with ghosts and witches in the cellar or attic. Hang old fur, strips of raw liver on walls where one feels his way to dark steps. Weird moans and howls come from dark corners. Damp sponges and hairnets hung from the ceiling touch the face. Doorways are blockaded so that guests must crawl through a long, dark tunnel. At the end, he hears a plaintive meow and sees a black cardboard cat outlined in luminous paint. Anyway, the liver hung on the walls and damp sponges and hairnets hanging from the ceiling? That's terrifying! But as the description is written, you can see that it's supposed to be fun. It goes on to describe... A silhouetted autopsy? Uh, it does. Where you're like, that, what? People would be awesome. seated, and then behind like a scrim of sorts, you would, yeah, exactly. They would be like, like simulating, like I guess yes. pulling out like rope and <laughs> link sausage from the from the butchery shop. Uh, yeah, that, it's that so actually fun. sounds pretty cool. I actually went through a home haunted house that ended with an autopsy table. Really? Although there wasn't a scrim, it was just like, look what we found! Brr! Well, that's the and then a guy revved up a chainsaw and. Out yeah. we went. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed your visit to the haunted house. And I hope you come back next Halloween. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and there was another group through the 70s called uh, oh, Campus, Campus Life. Life. Yeah, yeah, Campus Life. And it sounds like they were really active in putting up haunted houses, which is just great for me. And I'll, I love I'll just that. say again that, um, especially coming out of the 80s, it just seemed like anybody with an organized religion, specifically Christian, was just down on this holiday that I love so much and seemed very foolishly so, and it's just not the case. Really. I like that. There's, there's a lot of... Um, Thank you for giving this that to temper my anger yeah. at the beginning of the podcast about of, I it. mean, first of all, you know, you got to thank the, the Catholics for getting it in the first place. Then you got to thank uh, Guy Fawkes for his contribution. <laughs> and then um, the Campus Life people and... Uh, other organizations like that, Knights of Columbus, they threw a haunted house in my hometown. I know that. Mm-hmm. Which, since that was the only time I was ever in the Knights of Columbus building, I thought it was like that all year. I thought it was constantly. Oh, that's pretty. Just a terrifying Come place. Come on. That's cute. So, you, you'd walk by and be like, I don't want to go in there. Yeah. Every time we'd go by the Knights of Columbus, which was right on the corner. I thought it was a very spooky place. Anyways, and now today, let me take you up to present for a second. Trunk or treat has become a thing. Are you familiar with this? If it's what I'm thinking it is, then maybe. It's where instead of uh, sending kids out into even your own neighborhood, which can be considered unsafe, depending where you are. Yeah. They'll take a parking lot and people will decorate their car trunks, their open car trunks. That's fun. Just like people's homes, you get people who decorate it a little and then you get people who decorate them a lot. Yeah. And kids will go from trunk to trunk as if they would go from home to home trick-or-treating and this is something uh that seems to be put on largely by churches so keep it up folks you're strong in numbers let's all empty our pockets and see what we got i'll go first i got a piece of fudge a stick of gum and two lollipops i got an apple some popcorn two cookies and a chocolate bar i got some lemon drops a peppermint stick and a donut i got a tootsie roll a package of lifesavers and a can of strong hearts. <laughs> mm, dog food. Huh? 
speaking of trick-or-treating, I know you and I talked about the relationship to begging for soul cakes and begging for, you know, kindling for fires and how this book I read and you read parts of, she says, "Mm, that's not quite as related to trick-or-treat as you think. That's why I think that the prank line's the straight one, so it can then make the big turn. Sure. But as far as trick-or-treating goes... When you talked about how towns and civic groups and churches and things, they were trying to step yep. in, offer Parades, some activities. parties. Yeah. I didn't, we really didn't see what the, the activities were. But they were um, pretty wholesome things. That's where your apple bobbing comes in. Yeah, there were there lot, were pamphlets uh, that that costume gave contests. you ideas for things to do. There were even ideas for performances to do at school. Here's a sort of the choreography for you know we needed a parade of young boys and they need to be dressed like this and they do these motions and here are the games we play at parties. But during the depression, it was hard for people to host parties like for me to host a party for all the neighborhood children because it was expensive. Yeah. So it actually evolved that each house would host an individual game or activity, yes. and then people would travel around to the different houses just so as to disperse the cost of providing this kind of thing. So I think, again, that's another in the nebulous world of history. Another thing that that just goes into trick-or-treating because that's a door-to-door activity. We're all going into different people's houses in the community. All of this stuff seemed to really, like so much else, get tamped down for World War II. Yes. The pranksters went off to war and those were left behind. They had blackouts and rationing. We had plenty of sugar until December 7th, 1941, when Japanese treachery plunged us into worldwide war. Not a lot of great Halloweens. I'm, I'm sure they managed to make candy it. Candy was a luxury. You yeah. couldn't really have a lot of candy. War bonds. Yes, darling, war bonds. Well, gee, thanks a lot, Mom, but I, I wanted a bicycle. I know you did, Jenny. And I know that Billy wanted a railroad. But I feel that you're both old enough to realize that your country's at war and to be willing to make sacrifices for it. And then the war ended. Victory! Hooray! Halloween is back. No more rationing. We get candy. Yay! Not only is it back, but right after that, boom, here comes the baby boomers. And the baby boomers, they just really dictate everything (laughs) that, that I know of as my modern culture. And uh, this is no exception. No. Halloween from here on out, it's the baby boomers game, which is they're all born in the late 40s. And by the 50s, they grew up with warm memories of trick or treating. Yes. Something that they, they didn't want to give that up. Sustain. So whereas other people reach a certain age and knock it off, these guys, when it reaches the 1970s, that's when you get the more adult Halloween parties. That's when a Halloween becomes an adult thing. Because now, mass communication, we got TV brought everybody onto the same page and those who weren't were on board by the time the great pumpkin came around and then when the 70s come they say why quit let's just move it into the discos or where have you the parties yeah and then they say like you know uh really decorating your home didn't really take off to the 1980s well, I wonder why, because now the baby boomers are homeowners. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, I'm not going to go out to the clubs and whoop it up as a slutty nurse. Let's just do up the home. And that's when the home haunts first started just as decorated homes. And now they are home haunts. Yeah. Ooh, you took us on an express train, but I loved where you went with it. Well, it's straight down the wants of a generation that's not mine. Right. But, um, you know, coming up in their shadow, getting their cast-off traditions, it's not bad. I'm kind of happy about that. Yeah, me I've too. I've had a pretty good time. 
They perfected the mass distribution of candy. By the time I came around, they had it down to a science. They sure did. Yeah, Halloween's a lot of fun for kids. And don't you like Halloween, Pop? Oh, sure, but you know, as you get a little bit older, you get kind of tired of that stuff. So, you know, we've talked about how there's just been a constant... I guess, seesaw of Halloween as being a child's holiday, a teenage holiday, a child's holiday, an adult's holiday. Yeah. Um, it's gone back and forth. It depends and, what else is going on at the time. Yeah. Like, we talked about mid to late 1800s. There was very much a tradition of these fortune-telling games to so the, the pubescent kids. But then we had a tick back in the early 1900s to it being about children, sort of. And in large part, it was very child-centric. Adults had to help make decorations, You know, you Mm -hmm. had to get a gourd and place it and hang things. But then by the 1910s, there were companies mass-producing products, and as we've already talked about, instruction books about Halloween. But there were also, like, ready-made... Ready-made costumes. Costumes. That's a big thing. Ready-made decorations. And so the parents got to be a little bit more hands-off, and it became a little bit more about the kids there. But let's talk about costumes, because you brought up you know, mass production of costumes, costumes. yeah, which were flammable. So they caught on fire. Yeah, and there's all the jack o' lanterns. So didn't take long. Well, for kids them to would start. kids would carry lanterns, lanterns with actual flames in them, door yeah. to door. And you know what? Actually, carrying pumpkins around used to be a bigger thing. It was good for pranking. Yeah, they really did. You like stick it up by someone's window, spook them real good. That grinning. Glowing globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian. It's Halloween. I just want to rocket us forward just on the costume track and just go, in my opinion, there was such a premium when these things became available of ready-made decorations and ready-made costumes of like, well, those are definitely clearly better like you want the nice store made ones the factory produced ones you want Mm. the you know when you're a kid you want the cool plastic face sure right you don't want to be a hobo you don't want mom to make your costume and smear dirt on your face you want the official wonder woman costume not you but you know that says wonder woman across the chest i was et it said it it had a a mask of et and then it had a picture of et on the chest We've gotten away from that, and I'm glad, but at the time, it was the bee's knees. It was the bee's knees. And what I think is interesting is we've kind of, in the realm of food, costuming, decoration, I think we've reached another seesaw tipping point where we're now back to the DIY. Everybody wants to do that. Now, this is interesting because I was telling you earlier tonight that I'm buying a Halloween costume for a kid. I did buy a Halloween costume for a kid in need this year. When I was going to look at the costume, because he wanted to be Jason Voorhees, and I'm like, well, if this I... This is were... a charity that Kat found. Do you want to yeah. give the charity some? Oh, sure. Um, it's called Ween Dream, like Halloween Dream, but just Ween. You can find them on in, on Instagram as, I think, Ween underscore Dream, but look it, them up. It helps connect people who want to give to kids in need and what they need are Halloween costumes. Yeah, so in other words, it's And that is a charity Kat me. can get behind. <laughs> So my point is that it's an 11-year-old boy I'm sponsoring who wants to be Jason Voorhees for Halloween, which is just a dream. What Mm. a weird little, what a lovable little weirdo. That costume, by the way, I mean, I I support you, but the benefit of that growing up was any kid with just old clothes and a hockey mask. Yeah, go roll in the dirt. And yeah. get a fake machete. From the, from the neck down, it's kind of just anything you got in the closet. Well, you and just needed a hockey mask. Exactly. But I had this for days. I went back and forth going like, 
God, I could make him something that's probably cooler than anything you can find in the store. But if I'm an 11 year old kid who can't afford much, I want that store brought. Yeah, you want the name brand. Costume. So that's what I ended up doing. But I just think that's interesting because I had a moment's pause where I was like, you know, you get a shirt and a dirty jacket and some pants and a hockey mask and roll, roll around in some blood and dirt and you got a costume. I used to work in a Halloween store. Yes, I know, know that. Um, I sent home many of Jason Voorhees or the Wolfman was good because that's just like you wear like you wear the mask. You wear the mask and then the, the clothes are up to you, really. Then if you buy like a fake beard, cut it up and just stick it coming out of the sleeves. <laughs> and you're a Wolfman. And yeah. I, I, I sent home more than one Wolfman using that method that year. That year was 2001. Mm. Um, we were all somewhere for 9-11. And where I was was uh, getting ready for work at a Halloween store. Hmm. And we've all got stories of, you know, the days that followed and the change in America. Uh, but mine was from the perspective of a Halloween store. And so now, Kat, I'll share some of that with you. I would love that. You know, people can take America and then... You know, take really anything and say, well, the history of America can really be found in the history of gunpowder. And they can make a good case for that. Absolutely. And it's like, well, the history of America can be charted through uh, its use of copper wiring. And that's true, too. And the history of America can also be gauged by how it treated Halloween. And the Halloween lens. Yeah, the Halloween lens, the Halloween barometer, mm -hmm. which is what you and I are pretty close to. And 9-11, that's September. Halloween, right around the corner. Halloween stores were already open. I was employed part-time at one. Uh, I showed up to it, and my assistant man, because uh, no one knew what to do. We, we never had an emergency on that scale. So I just went to work mm. and got to work, and the, I figured, you know, no one would be in that day. You were in like, Pennsylvania? In Pennsylvania, yeah. Uh, so I showed up, and, and my assistant manager just went, go home. I was like, no problem. The sky's falling. Yeah. In the days to follow... A few things. One, people came in looking for Bin Laden masks, like ASAP. Jesus, really? Yeah. So it's like, sorry, buddy, check in next year. Yeah. Uh, we need a little heads up on this kind of thing. We had this area for, like, the nice black robes, like the executioner robes. And there's signs that say, hey, please ask for assistance before you try on a robe, and then we'd help you try them on. And I remember seeing a guy who was just, like, already in one of the robes, and I'm just like, eh, this guy. So I went up to him. And getting closer, I saw, oh, no, that's just how he dresses, because he was a man of a foreign land. Oh. And he said, do you have anything with an American flag on it? And we would be getting these Colors Don't Run shirts mm -hmm. to sell up towards the front within a couple weeks. But at the time, I was like, yeah, but it's silly. And he's like, may I see it? And I was like, okay. And I took him over where the hats were, and we had a big, foam, poofy Uncle Sam I know hat. exactly what you're talking about. And... I was like, there you go. Not a lot of dignity there. And by the way, there was a real drought on flags. Everyone just boom, went and bought yeah. flags and stuck them in their yards. Um, so he bought it. He bought this silly, and this was a man of stoic dignity, buying this crazy, uh -huh. you know, wear it to a football game kind of hat. He never said as much. I always thought like, crap, this guy is going to go home, try to flatten this thing out into like flag shape and stick it in his window so no one throws a rock through it, you know? Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe he just had an Uncle Sam costume someone was putting together. But I, I like was, that you're viewing it through the lens of empathy and, and <laughs> trying to think about, you know. I think um, he just needed something with an American flag. I don't know, stick it in his car like we were all doing. Yeah. Just something. 
because this was a foreign-looking man. Wow. Anyways. I read that that Halloween, there was an increase in, like, policemen and firefighter costumes for kids and adults alike. I had mothers come in and second-guess that, you know? Because at the time, well, three things. Policemen, firefighters, and the army. Because the army was getting deployed. Yeah. Uh, You'd get stories about body bags getting ordered. And those were all the same as almost being ghoulish to purchase such things. Yeah. Okay, so the lawns are filled with American flags. And the kind of people who decorate their lawns with flags are the same kind of people who decorate their lawns for Halloween. But you don't take down the flags. They just went up. Right. So all over town, there were these, you know, cardboard cemeteries and corpses in the trees and stuff like that with the American flags. They just didn't want to take them down. So just build around it. So you had these (laughs) double-tier patriotic and then Halloween-themed front yards all over town. I kind of love that the flags were left up and that Halloween went on and they found a way to incorporate it. And I don't think that's ghoulish or disrespectful. I mean, Halloween is very close to my heart, and the older I get and the more I read about it, the more... I realize that, you know, in so many ways, it's this beautiful bubble of time where we all get to exercise slash exorcise mm. our our greatest fears, our um, our stresses. You know, we, we get to go in public and scream at the top of our lungs because sure. we've paid we people wanna. to chase us around. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. And hanging corpses in the lawn, which is what you're doing when you're hanging a skeleton or a you know zombie or whatever, I think... The American community being honest about fears that they try to suppress most of the rest of the year. Now, as horror fans, we don't. You and I don't. We. I, I do have a skeleton in my living room all year. And and I think we're just a little more willing to face those fears on a regular basis. And we're welcome to the idea of kind of... Or we just have a need to face those fears on a regular basis. Maybe. Instead of just hauling them out once a year. But I think... I'd, it... I'd rather um, Frankenstein be this fun thing... It's basically a pal rather than this frightening thing. Yes. Friend, good. Friend, good. <laughs> so, um, let me get back to 9-11 for a second. Yeah, sure. So one woman came in and she said, I think all of those severed limbs in the box is in very poor taste. Because, you know, 3,000 people just died. Right. And I can only say the truth, which is no one minded him last week. You know, back you just said that very simply, and that's when we when we put them there needed somewhere to put them. So we did, you know one for arm, ones for legs for all of your arms and legs needs. And then you know she went about her her, her business after that. And then I was about to say like what well, her reaction because you're basically just in a, just a few words kind of knocked down her entire. It's like who I, can? But I like to think so. Well, yeah, of course I think so. It's like who's to say what where the line is drawn? Yeah, we just kind of feel our way through it. Yeah. And then the other one was a, a woman came up, no, no kidding, adult woman, and said, "Is Halloween canceled this year?" And <laughs> okay, you can't cancel it. You sure can't. Because no one's in charge of it. You know what I mean? It's something that we as a people come together and do. There's no mayor of Halloween except for in Nightmare Before Fort. Christmas. There's the mayor there, but th- there's. No one's in charge of Halloween, and that's part of what makes it so great is we all say, we're doing it, and and we all just hit the streets, unsanctioned, really. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was being smart-assy with her as well, but I just said, uh, no, then the terrorists will have truly won. I like that. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. This is Halloween.
I do want to say one last thing for me. Oh, yeah, please. I mean, we could talk for four hours, but you've seen the documentary The American Scream? I saw most of it. I highly recommend revisiting it. I've probably watched it four or five times in the last couple of years. For the people at home, American Scream is the documentary following three home haunters as they turn their homes into haunted houses. Yeah. For, for one night a year? These three just do it for one night, yeah. But Bo- boggled my mind mm-hmm. because all that work here in Los Angeles. Yeah, they tried to do it for at least like five nights. Yeah, like like two weekends and then actual Halloween. So yeah. if you haven't seen the American Scream, uh, you should really see it. I think it came out in 2010 or 11. It's and streaming right now. These guys are in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. They are. Um, good falls, good autumns. Uh, yes. Over there. Good yeah. Autumns. But yeah, they do, and it's for it's very atmospherically just just you know in addition to the subject matter, just there are a lot of leaves and you know like old architecture and just people with Massachusetts accents that really adds to the yeah. flavor, like, right? Oh, you want to make your home haunted? Are you sure it's not already? It's like 200 <laughs> years old. But the kind of ostensible protagonist of the story, I mean, it does follow three guys, but the guy who sort of emerges as the main hero of the story, and he he just makes a statement towards the end of the film. He's like, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, these are family holidays. Mm. Halloween is a community holiday. People come together. He talks about the people he sees. He goes, 70% of the people that come through my haunted house on Halloween night, I will never see again. They come from all over. I know maybe 30% of them, but most of them are strangers to me. And it's exciting for me to see them enjoy what I've done. You know, and they're in the street, they're talking, someone's coming up and scaring them. It's a time for people to come together, you know, and experience something. That's not so much true of the other holidays. That's true. There's, uh, the streets are pretty empty on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Everyone's inside, yeah, you know? Yeah, Christmas too. And I think that's one of the things that, personally, I've come to love. I love Halloween more every waking moment of my life and every dreaming moment as well. It's, it's so important to me. And you and I, thankfully, and thank God for Boys and Ghouls, because it's become a great excuse for us to see each other at least once a month. Mm-hmm. And we get together and we do spooky things, we talk about spooky things, and it's my favorite. Halloween, it's time for me to see my friends more often do special things that we don't always do. It's an excuse to go do things we love like Pierce College or, you know, House on a Hill or th- the Corn Maze. The um Pierce College Corn Maze. Yes. We don't just go to class. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. The Corn Maze, the the haunted house, the you know, climbing bales of hay, going to Rotten Apple, like home haunt. It's so rich with memories. Memories you're making. Exactly. All right. Oh well, Kat, I think you said it all. And so I will only uh just give out our email address, which is uh, boysandghouls at gmail. If any of y'all out there want to uh, get in touch with us, follow us on Facebook. You've already found us to listen to us. Go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, I'd it's say. It's free. It's free. And if you've made it this far, you probably love Halloween as, as much as we do. Yeah. Or um, you're just learning about it on an academic level. <laughs> and come say hi on Instagram and Twitter as well. We're on both of those platforms. Indeed. Thanks for listening. Hope to uh, have you tune in for future episodes. And Kat, as always, beware the moon. <laughs>